Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, and it says this, When the wise men heard the king, meaning King Herod, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Everybody say great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And this is the part of the verse I wanted you to hear. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching in this scripture that I don't want to get into fully. I've studied about what the gold represented which represented Jesus' kingship. He was a king. Everybody say he was a king. And those wise men, those, they called them wise men. They were really kings, kings, wise men. And then the frankincense and then the myrrh. Uh, they put off fragrances, right? Frankincense represents the very presence of God because of the fragrance it puts off. I know this might sound weird, but there, there have been times throughout history, I've even experienced this in my own life, the fragrance of the Lord. There's a fragrance. In the Bible, the, 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 the scriptures and revelations talks about incense, putting off a fragrance to the Lord. The Lord carries a fragrance. Did you know that? And then the myrrh was oftentimes used to either embalm or encase a body, a corpse. And so right here, you see the gold representing Jesus, the presence of God, and also what they gave him represented what would come later when he was 33 years old, which was his body being wrapped in myrrh. And so these were their gifts, and these were not cheap gifts. Now you can order on Amazon, you can order frankincense and myrrh for about $10. Don't do it. Don't do it. Plus, it's probably not from Israel. They made it at the shop down the road. No. The whole point is, is these gifts were costly. And it is costly not just to serve Jesus. Sometimes it's costly to move his heart. And it doesn't just mean financially. We move, we move his heart, not money. Listen, let me tell you something. Money does not move God. It doesn't move God. I think I read somewhere that he owns cattle on a thousand hills. What moves his heart is obedience and sacrifice. And that means something different to every single person. I've seen a person who gave $5. I've seen that be more of a sacrifice than the person sitting next to them who gave 100. Why? It's not the amount that matters. It's the sacrifice and obedience that matters. And these gifts cost those kings something. Can everybody stand to their feet? When we give, we don't want to give out of repetition. We always want to give out of obedience. And how do we give? Out of our treasures. 
during the tithe and offering, I know we make it a little bit about money, but here's what it's really about. It's about whatever our obedience looks like. It's about us worshiping God through our obedience and through our yielding to the scriptures of what the scripture says. How many know that we can't worship God the way that we want to? We have to worship the way that he desires to be worshiped. Amen. That's what moves the heart of God. And so prayerfully consider being a part of what God is doing here. For many of you who've been here for years, you know exactly what to do. There's envelopes in your seat back. You can give through your tithes, through your offerings. Um, and everybody just lift those up. I want to I pray for every person who is giving and those who want to give, who cannot give. You can lift your mobile phone up by faith. Amen. And we'll pray for you as well. Father, we lift these gifts, these offerings to you, Lord Jesus, this morning, not out of repetition, but out of a thankful heart of obedience to you and to your word. And I just pray for every gift that is given this morning through this holiday season. I pray, Father, that you would multiply your people's sacrifice. I pray that you would honor them not just with finances, not just with open doors, but with your presence. May we all experience your presence as a result of our obedience to your word. We love you. We thank you. I thank you for every gift giver, every seed sower. God bless them, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. If you're giving uh, by envelope, you feel free to come and drop those in the buckets up to my left and to my right. God bless you as you give. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And as you're making your way back to your seat, if you can, just open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 5 as we get into God's Word. How many are excited about the reading of God's word this morning? Amen. I have a little bit of echo. If you could help me out with that, Joel. God bless you. If you can, remain standing, um, particularly my Presbyterian friends. If you can stand just for... That was a joke. Y'all are supposed to smile. That was funny. Amen. Let's say this Bible declaration in concert. In unity, on the count of three. Can we do that? One, two, three. This is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter five, verses six through eight. It's not up on the screen. I wanted you guys to have to open up your Bibles physically. No, that's not the reason. We really just didn't have the have it put up for you. I'm just kind of making an excuse. First John, chapter five, verses six, six through eight. It says this. This is He. It's a capital H. So who 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 is He? Everybody say Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. 
And it is the Spirit who bear witnesses. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. All these folks talking about there, there is no trinity. You know, God is just one. Yes, he is one in the form of three persons. Because it says here in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, For there are three, everybody say three, that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Who's the Word? And these three are what? One. And there are three that bear witness on the earth. The spirit, the water, and blood. And these three agree as one. You may have your seats. I have to tell you, it's sometimes intimidating when you start touching on theological subjects and issues because the Bible says that those who teach, said not, let not many become teachers, for teachers receive a stricter judgment. But this whole concept of the Trinity has always been difficult um, to articulate. And some, some word, you know, the word Trinity is actually not found in any of the scriptures. The word Trinity, it just, the word Trinity gives the con, connotation that it's, uh, there's three. There's three things at work there, or three persons in this case, at work there. But some, I like the safe uh, phrase, which would be the Godhead. I like using the word the Godhead or the triune God. The reason I like the word Godhead is because each of them are the head, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So both are the boss. That's what head means when you're the head of something. Amen? And, but the best way that I've heard the Trinity described in a natural sense, many of you have probably heard this, um, it's like a cup of of ice water, a cup of ice water. Has anybody ever heard that before? Like the Trinity being like a cup of ice water? Like water in its pure form is a liquid. And when you freeze liquid, what does it turn to? It turns into ice, which would be a solid. And if you boil that water, it turns into a, a gas or a vapor. So you have three things at work, but just one element. So water can be three things. God is much like that. He's one, but he has three functions or three characteristics. I just got this like when I started being a dad. Like, like if you tried to call me at home and I'm dealing with my kids, I'm not pastor. If my kids are acting up and I have to straighten them, you probably I'm probably not looking a whole lot like pastoral at that moment when I tell them to go in the room and take five, right? And many wives in here, how many wives are in the room? Can I just see a show of hands? Okay, so you know exactly what I mean. Like you're not always wife. Sometimes you're mommy. And I got a, I got a chance to see uh, some sides of Christine, and many of you don't know her. Uh, I got a chance to see her friend's side. You know, so some of the women in the room, they're friend, mom, and also daughter. Like, and the men in the room, they are a father, but they're also a friend to many other men. And some of them might be a boss or some of them might be an employee. So they're, but you might see a certain side of them depending on the environment that they're in. And you know what I love? Like, Jesus is the epitome of humility. 
and, and we are all dependent. A lot of people come to me and say, you know, how did you get to be humble? Well, first of all, it's easy when you're very aware of yourself. Look at your husband and say, I know you. You can pay her back. Go ahead and say, I know you too. When you're, people who are not humble are not self-aware of their weaknesses. But even the Trinity, even the Godhead has made himself, set himself up in such a way where, such a way where he's dependent upon himself in different parts of his nature. Jesus was highly dependent upon the Father. Remember in the garden? Remember when he was dependent on staying connected with the Father? Remember when he was on the cross in Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani? What does that mean? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't want to part from the Father. And then Jesus was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to continue the work that he had established here on earth. And so it's hard, it's hard to not be humble when you're self-aware and you see God wasn't weak, but he, he made himself, he set himself up where he still needs himself, different parts of himself. When I think about in ministry terms, how many difficulties that come up within ministry because we are people. But you have to be careful that you don't judge somebody in their weakness because every single person who has a weakness also has a strength. Every single person in the room, every minister, listen to me, every minister I've known, and I've known some very strong ones, I have seen their strengths, but I have seen their weaknesses. And there's not one that I have seen that doesn't have one weakness, at least one. Why did God do that? To make that man or that woman stay dependent upon him. Because God knows our frailty, our propensity to sin. And once we start getting a big head and thinking that we don't need him any longer, we begin to fall in areas of pride and pride comes before a, before a fall. So it's important to have that revelation. But this whole revelation of the Trinity has really always kind of staggered me when I think about God, which is the first, you know, God was. He always is, always will be. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the creator of all things. Say he's the creator. He's the one who set all of this in motion. He has a plan. And then he sent the son to carry out the plan to reconcile humanity to himself. That's Jesus. Say, that's Jesus. To carry out God's plan by sending him to the cross. And then when Jesus died, he had something to fulfill as well. And if he had not died and left, Jesus said to his disciples, if I don't, it's good that I go away. Because if I don't go, come on, you know your scriptures. I cannot send the Holy Spirit. So where is God at this moment? He's in heaven. Where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of God. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's here on earth. He's on the inside of us, continuing the work that God the Father set in motion, Jesus carried out. Now the Holy Spirit is continuing to reconcile humanity to God the Father until he gets the family that he wants to, until we're spot and wrinkle free, because that is the work of the Holy Spirit is to come to present a spotless bride back to God the Father. Is everybody following this morning? I want to read Luke chapter 3. I am going somewhere. 
Just hang in there. Look at somebody and say, just hang in. Stop looking at your watch. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. I, wanna, I, wanna, I really want to talk about, I know I'm not going to be mean this Sunday. The past couple Sundays, leaders came up to me. Everybody's laughing if you weren't here the past couple of weeks. It was a slaughter, but it's good. It was a good. The leaders, they came up to me and they, I said, are you in service today or are you serving in another area? And uh, it was funny. This is terrible. And, and one of them said, yeah, I'll be in service today. I said, oh, okay, come on, join the slaughter. Today I'm going to be nice. For every, for every, every father knows what I'm talking about. There's a time for rebuke. There's a time to exhort and to build up. But uh, and Luke, listen what Luke says. Luke chapter three, verse 16. John answered, John the Baptist, say John the Baptist. Answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Another version says unto repentance. But... One mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. Who is he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. You know what the secrets... Listen, Jesus was not an island. We know that Jesus is our high priest he is our Savior. He is our Lord. We have nothing without the shed blood of Jesus. I mean, do you understand the ramifications before Jesus came? We talk about the night before Christmas, but it was only a night. It was only nighttime before Jesus came because once he came, he shed light abroad in every single person's heart and made a way for you and I in the middle of our sin to be reconciled back to God. That's powerful. Jesus did that. But do you know what the secret was to Jesus' ministry? Do you know why all those healings happened? Why, why when, he, when he walked in a room, an atmosphere changed? Do you know why Lazarus came out of that grave? Do you know why those 10 lepers walked away healed? Do you know why blind eyes would open when he would... Put clay. Do you think there was power in the clay? Was there power in the clay? Maybe it was the saliva. No, 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 no. It was the relationship that Jesus had with the mighty third person of the Trinity. Did you know that? Everybody say, it was the Holy Spirit. Say this, the secret to the power of God is my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to me. You can have a relationship with God and have no power. I'm going to explain that. I know plenty of, excuse me, I know plenty of religious people who cannot break out of their sin cycles. I know plenty of people that have dysfunction in all of their relationships. Is it because they don't know God or is it because they don't have a relationship with the person of the Trinity that can give them power to walk? Jesus said, behold, 
I give you power. Everybody say power. When you look around the church today, do we lack churches? Do we lack steeples? Do we lack LED? You don't lack fog lights? Some people lack people more than others, but we don't, we don't lack religiosity in this day and age. You know what we lack? We lack the power of the Holy Spirit. We lack the power because we lack intentional relationship with the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to talk to you about how to have that kind of relationship. And for those of you who think for a moment that you have a strong relationship with the Lord by the Holy Spirit, I'm especially talking to you. Because can I tell you what maturity brings in a believer's life? I don't care if you're in full-time ministry. The more I've grown, the more frail I begin to feel spiritually. And I'm understanding that verse. Does everybody understand what I'm saying when I say that? As you grow the kingdom way, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you don't feel more and more mighty. You become more and more self-aware of your frailty. This is why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can watch mass crusades and pray for the sick. You can watch people being healed and be exposed to so much. You can be a pastor of a church. You can be the shepherd of a movement. You can be the one praying in the prayer line out in the outreaches and lack relationship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And it takes God to love God in you. It takes the whole, you know what the Holy Spirit's job is to do? It's to, yes, sanctify you, but he's to bring you to the Father. It's to conform. You know what God's ultimate will is for every single believer? This is his perfect will. To be conformed into the image of Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? He said, let this cup pass from me. In other words, when you're called to do a really hard thing, you don't have the strength to overcome that hard thing to obey God in. It's, it's not up to you. It takes the inner working and yielding to the Holy Spirit to empower you to say yes to the very hard things because it is the hard things that make you more and more like Jesus. That is what conforms you into the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Is everybody hearing me this morning? Now I'm going to teach on some little old principles. Is that okay? I know I'm only 37 and I talk like I'm 80. Sometimes I feel like it. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, God doesn't normally do this. He normally doesn't, and if I touch you on the shoulder, it's not because I'm picking on you. I'm going to pick on my mom. The Holy Spirit normally doesn't come and say, you know I'm not moving in your life because you're doing X, Y, Z. Normally, he doesn't do that. Normally, he doesn't say, all those doors are being shut because of your disobedience. Why? Because the written, can I tell you what the most powerful, I believe in prophetic, I believe in prophets are still for today, I believe in all that, but can I tell you the greatest prophetic word is the written word of God, the Bible. And if it doesn't line up with this, that's a whole nother thing. The written word of God tells us how to obey 
the Lord. And when we yield and we obey, obedience brings power. Obedience brings the strength of the Lord. Sin weakens the believer. It weakens you spiritually. I know there are seasons we go through, yes, highs and lows. But can I tell you what that season looks like according to the Bible? Because we justify our sin and say, oh, I'm just going through another season of drought. And yes, I believe there's a time for that. But when you come out of that season of doubt, drought, my Bible says, and I think you might have, if you have, I think it says the same thing. We go from glory, we go from glory to glory. You know the Holy Spirit is in partnership with you when you go through a trial and come out with more fruit. You know it's not the Holy Spirit if you come out of that trial and you lack more fruit than when you went in. Come on, how many, how many people have gone through things and it's like they become worse as they grow older or worse as they keep going through trials? No, the trials of the Lord. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? He was led by the into the wilderness and came out with more fruit. It said, then the power of the spirit rested upon him. Then the miracles and the signs and the wonders begin to follow him. After he was obedient in tough times. Can I tell you one thing that brings the power of the Holy Spirit? Is this too old school? Repentance. And I'm not talking about a one-time repentance. You will take, I'm not talking about repenting over the same sin over and over again. I have been there too. Repentance is an absolute lifestyle, choosing, choosing the ways of the Lord every single day that you get up. I told you guys a week or so ago, I go to my wife often. I go to my children often and I, because I know you won't tell me the truth. Great sermon, pastor. You're doing great. My kids will tell me the truth. And so I look them and you want to stay holy? Look at your kids or your grandkids or look at your wife or look at your husband and say, how am I doing? That is a repentant heart. That will keep you in a position of constant growth in the Lord. Ask people who love you, how am I doing? I know I say I love Jesus. I know I pray really well, but are you patient? Are you kind? Do you bear the fruit of the Spirit? Evidence of the Holy Spirit is not signs and wonders. Sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the They will say to me in that day, have we not cast out devils? It's super quiet. What denomination are we again? Bapticostals. You might get brimstone and you might get the Holy Ghost. You might get somebody shaking on the floor. You just never know. I guess we're like that box that Forrest Gump gave, you know. You never know what you're going to. never know what you're going to get. A sign that the Holy Spirit is resident in the believer is fruit. His fruit. What is his fruit? His characteristics. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, meekness, patience, self-control, and so on. The fruit of the Spirit. David wasn't more of a godly man than Saul. Do you know why the Holy Spirit would show up when he would play his harp? Think about it. King Saul, who was the first king in the Bible, first kings, say he was the first king. 
Morally, he was a better man than David. He never slept with a woman outside of marriage. He didn't kill his best friend. His problem was is he had an unrepentant heart and lived a life of disobedience. He cared more about looking like he was obeying versus obeying. But God doesn't look on the outward man like men do and like women do. He looks at the heart. And the greater sinner is not the one who finds himself in habitual sin over and over again. That's not the worst sinner. The worst, the worst kind of sin to be caught up in is to think you're living right when you're living wrong. To think that you are living acceptable unto the Lord and you have blind spots and you think you're okay when you are not okay. Everybody thinks you are close to Jesus when you are not close to Jesus. When you know how to pray and say all the right words, but you praise him with your mouth, but your heart is far from him. David failed over and over and over again. But he repented over and over and over again. And God cannot trust somebody who thinks they're never wrong. That's why I say the more you grow, the more low you go. The more you grow in Jesus, the more childlike you become. The more you realize you're weak, and then when you are fully weak, then you become strong. Why? Because God's strength is made perfect, not in strength, in weakness. He looks for weakness. Did you know, did you know that your weakness does not repel the Holy Spirit? I know you thought that. No, 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 no. It draws it. His, your weakness draws him so that he can put his power in you and do something with your life so that when people look at you, they say, oh my God, the Lord is using her? I know all of those weaknesses. That's God proving to a person how they should live humble and yielded to him so that they can become useful for the Lord as well. It's in our weaknesses that Christ is made strong. Living a repentant life. It's a daily lifestyle. Number two, and you, this is in order, by the way. Always remember this. When you feel bad about your sin, when I feel bad about my sin, it's a good thing. There's only one time you need to worry when it no longer bothers you. That is the sign that Jesus has left the building. I could have did the Elvis slip, but I, won't, I don't want to impress you. Repentance. Always remember this for the rest of your life. The blood. Everybody say the blood. The blood. What does the blood represent? Atonement. Atonement means Jesus purchased me and you with his blood. He bought you and I. You are not your own. And blood always, remember when it says that blood, then water came out of Jesus' side? The blood represents him shedding his blood for me and you, making atonement to reconcile us back to God. What happened 40 days later? What happened? Pentecost. Penta means five, 50. 50 days later, after Jesus died, 50 days later, what happened? Acts chapter 2. When they were all in the upper room with one accord, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. 
It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The blood, always remember this, never forget it. The blood always precedes the Spirit. The worst thing we can do as believers is hide or defend ourselves because the Holy Spirit cannot cooperate with a person who is unrepentant and defensive, who's not willing to change, who's not willing to yield, who's not willing to be wrong in their deception. Does everybody hear me? Is this too heavy? Should I sit down? We must live repentant lives. Repent means to turn. When we know it's wrong, we turn. When we we know it's wrong and we say it or we do it anyway, we ask the Lord for forgiveness. We ask for strength to not do that again. And and little by little, the power of the Holy Spirit, we attract the Holy Spirit by that weakness. And then one day you begin to wake up and the things that you used to want to do, you no longer do anymore because now you have God himself by the way of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. And every appetite that you used to have for the world, now you begin to have his desires. Do you know people who quote that scripture, you shall have whatsoever you say? You know who that, what that scripture is for and who that scripture is for? It's when the person comes to a place where their desires and God's desires learn, learn to line up cohesively. This is when miracles happen. This is when things begin to happen in our lives is when our spirit aligns with his. Our desires align with his, not the other way around. What I have learned is to get my desires completely, I am still learning, getting my desires completely out of the way. Because when we align with him, things begin to move. Things begin to happen. Number two is that obedience always brings the blessing and always brings a person uh, to a place of strength and power. Do you remember when Saul, everybody say Saul. The Bible says he was the first king, not Saul, Paul. Saul, the first king. Remember what the scriptures say about him? It says that he stood head and shoulders over every single man. He was handsome. It says, even God himself through the prophet Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, I chose you. I mean, God took residence over that man, blessed him. He ruled for many, many years. The favor of the Lord was upon him. But something began to happen. He began to walk in spiritual disobedience. He didn't go kill anybody. You can, be, you can show up to church and go through the functions and be walking in spiritual disobedience, knowing that God has told you to do something and be actually walking in disobedience, fooling people outwardly, making them think that you are obedient to the Lord when actually you're walking in disobedience. And here's the thing. Before any great king, before any great prophet of the Lord, Angels would come and proceed and say, behold, this person's being risen up for such a time as this, or they would pour anointing oil on them, or there would be this great uh, uh, announcement that God was about to use this particular individual in the Bible. Because God always makes announcements when he's about to use somebody, but he he doesn't announce anything when he leaves. Here's what he does. Stop doing that. And when you don't and you walk in disobedience, he doesn't leave easily nor quickly. But little by little, he begins to withdraw. He announces when he's coming, behold, 
the woman Mary, the spirit will come upon her and behold, she shall have a son and his name will be great and you shall call his name Jesus. Behold, John the prophet in the, in, in the womb of Elizabeth when he prophesied about David. All these different announcements. God always makes a big announcement when a man or a woman of God shows up on the scene. But when you live a life of disobedience, he will never announce his departure. The Holy Spirit wakes, makes way more noise when it comes to land. It will not announce when it leaves. And I'm not talking, yes, you might be thinking that scripture, and I'm thinking about it too. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he never does. This is not a salvation issue. This is a relationship issue. You know what we need? We need God to clean house. And you know what we need is a good restoration. We need revival, don't we, Rick? Don't we, Dean? We, need, we, need, we really need revival. But you know, we, you know what kind of revival we need first? A revival of the fear of the Lord. I mean, to be so afraid, like even like you should know when you grieve him, you should have, we should have that kind of relationship with God to know when some, even when you watch something on TV, to know if it grieves the Holy Spirit and, and produces a different atmosphere in your home that he's not well pleased with. We should have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you are a man and you see a woman and you look twice, you should have such of a residence on the inside of you of the Holy Spirit that you're convicted and grieve over that thing for three days. If you're a woman and you open your mouth a little too much to that husband, you should have such residence on the inside of you and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you should know you've grieved the Lord when you've said too much. Amen. This is called the fear of the Lord. Amen. And the church needs a great big baptism in the fear of the Lord. Does anybody agree with me? Yes. We need it. We need it. We need it so badly. I have minister friends of mine. There's some of them, I can't even look on Facebook anymore. I said I wasn't going to be. Not, I'll calm down. It's like we can't. We need it. We need sensitivity again. We need, we need things that grieve him to grieve us. We talk about, and I'm the first one to talk about healings, signs, and wonders, but we wonder why they're not happening. We wonder, why would God stamp? Oh, I know that's so hard. Why would God stamp that on us as people? And when I'm addressing this, I'm not addressing this. I know you guys are living right, all of you, all of us put myself there too. I'm talking about the church in general. Like why would the Lord so manifest? You know when God manifests in different times throughout history? He was putting his stamp of approval on a generation. And then the generation, they would begin to not look at Jesus anymore. Then they begin to look at the signs and the wonders. But it doesn't stop. Our eyes, our propensity is to continue to drift. We look at God. We glorify him. We look at Jesus. We look at the Holy Spirit. But then we start looking at the church. We start looking at the healings and the signs of, and wonders. Then we start looking at numbers. Then we start looking at the finances. And then we begin to go through the form. All the while, the Holy Spirit has left the building. And we need a restoration of the fear of the Lord.
We need to see purity once again. You know what I desire? We were in the car. I better quit. Can you stand to your feet? What did you say? You don't want me to do it. I wouldn't do it anyway. Because I'm here and it's safe. Is everybody okay? You know, maybe this is your church, maybe it's not. But don't go to a church that doesn't provoke your heart to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You should never, the day that you grow comfortable in your relationship with Jesus, you're no longer growing. And it's all about going deeper with him, higher in him, wider and deeper into him. But I was, I forget where I was going with this last part, but hopefully the Lord breathes on it. I'll step out on the water and hope I can stand. We were, I was going to say what my heart desires. We were driving the car and sometimes we play like, you know, games in the car. It was me and the two kids and my wife yesterday. And I, and I said, I said to them, let's play a game. Like if you could have anything, you know, because I like to get my, to know my family, even though you know your family, I like to, because people's desires, your desires tell people something about you, Amen. right? And I said, let's, let's play a game. If you could have anything you want in the world and money wasn't an issue, you could have anything. It could be a location. It could be a person. It could be an item. It could be a vehicle. It could be a toy, whatever, whatever it is. If you could name three things, look at you all starting to think like, what would it be for me? Anything. It could be endless money. I even said endless money, whatever it might be. And I asked my wife that. And she said, one of her statements shook me. Because it's like, you wonder at the possibility of this. She said, I want to walk with Jesus like no man or woman has ever walked with Jesus on the earth. To like to hear him and to have that kind of fellowship that is unbroken. And that so moved my heart. And then they asked me, but I'm not going to tell you mine. You want to know? I'll tell you next week. It's 12.05. I'm just kidding. I don't look at that. Lay that thing down. If you want that kind of relationship, can you help me out back there, guys? If you want that kind of relationship with Jesus, it takes fellowship. Fellowship. That, that means there has to be a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. If you guys are going to enter into what you have seen in your heart and your spirit when you move to the Netherlands, it takes a cooperation. And I believe that for you guys, that there's something's going to explode between you two. It's, it's at an infant state right now, but I believe the Lord's going to water that. How, how do destinies get watered? The Holy Spirit is representative of a stream of water. He waters the seed. Just keep positioning yourselves in the Lord. Stay in relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
And as he waters, that, that thing will begin to grow. First, it takes root under the surface where you can't see. It doesn't look like much movement. It doesn't look like much is happening. But under the surface, things are taking root. Maturity is happening. happening. Growth is happening. And then all of a sudden, things begin to sprout up. It takes relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need an awakening of this. Gone are the days where God is going to allow his people to have relationship with him out of their head. It's going to take an inner, it's going to take an inward revival. We're looking for revival out here. People keep saying the world needs God. No, the world doesn't need God. The church needs God. I said the church of Jesus Christ needs God. It needs a fresh awakening. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.